We're going to have really pretty much an informational type sermon this afternoon. And so uh, we'll, we'll just be talking about some things that, you know, I hadn't thought about much. Uh, but I, I mentioned several weeks ago as, as we made some announcements that we we're going to have some teaching uh, about the assembly. The assembly of the, of the church and when we gather together and what we do and why and those kind of things. Uh, I think those things are all important. And if you follow uh, along on, uh, on the Facebook videos, uh, The Narrow Way, here in the next eight, nine weeks or so, we're going to launch into that. And those will be short little videos, and we'll talk about the different components of the assembly and, and what we do and why and those kind of things. And then, uh, Lord willing, as we have opportunity, uh, I'll try to do a little more teaching um, from the pulpit on that and uh, go into a little more depth. You may think it an odd place to start, um, but I want to start that study with the, the, the synagogue and, and this Jewish worship in the synagogue. And, uh, you know, quite honestly to me, as I dug back and tried to look into the assembly and those things, it kind of led to this place. And, and I thought it was kind of an odd place to start at first, but I hope by the time we get done with this study, you'll understand why. This is an important place to start, an important thing for us to understand uh, as we think about how we worship God today. And there's really two main points, and I don't usually do this, but I'm going to tell you the two main things that I want you to get out of this lesson so you can be thinking about it uh, throughout the study. Number one, as we think about the synagogue, we, we're going to study and see that that was a departure from how God really wanted the, the Jews to worship. And the Israelites to worship. He didn't, in his law and giving of the law, he didn't specify for them to worship in the synagogue in the way that they did in the synagogue. That wasn't God's plan. They had departed from that. And yet God's going to take that and use that as the springboard for Christianity worldwide. Christianity would have never taken off as rapidly and quickly as it did if it hadn't have been for the synagogue. The synagogue was a critical place for people to go and gather together and, and Jesus used it and the apostles used it and it was just a critical, critical element for them to spread the message of the gospel, for them to spread the message of Christianity and for Christianity to get, get off the ground and take off. We had to have the synagogue for that to happen. And I think that's a tremendous uh, marvel of the way that God uses things sometimes things that are a departure from his truth and yet he could take that and use it and shape and mold the church uh, from that and that's exactly what he did the second thing is that we've got to be careful that we don't take the same path that the Israelites took in putting their own ideas and their own thoughts and their own desires into how they worship God because that's what happened with the synagogue. They were taught and instructed how to worship first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And God never tells them to establish these little synagogues and worship out of them. And yet that's exactly what they did. And they got further and further and further away from the truth. And it's very easy for us to do that exact same thing in the worship assembly today. As we insert our own thoughts and our own ideas into maybe we ought to do it this way or this way, then we depart from the truth and those small little steps away can lead to a full-blown and full-fledged departure from the truth. 
And so I want you to pay attention to those two, two main points or main uh, things that I want you to get uh, out of this lesson as we talk about the synagogue. First, let's talk about the appearance of the synagogue. The actual word synagogue appears only one time in the Old Testament. And it's a completely different word than what we see in New Testament times. That word in the Old Testament uh, is translated synagogue one time in the book of Psalms. But it's translated 150 times as congregation. It's translated uh, four times as assembly and 12 times as appointed. 23 times as feast. And so it's a little bit different use of the word in the, in the Old Testament. Synagogue was not a place of worship in the Old Testament. It just wasn't. And, and we don't even read about it in that sense. Now it appears kind of out of nowhere right as the New Testament begins. We see these synagogues are, are commonplace. They're established all over. Uh, not just the city of Jerusalem, but other cities. They branched out and went through other cities uh, throughout that land. And those synagogues uh, really came about during the Babylonian captivity. And so Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, we read about that in the, in the Old Testament. He comes in and he takes uh, Jerusalem captive. He takes the people of Israel captive. That's when he hauls them all back. And we read about some of that time frame in the book of Daniel. And all those things that happened during that time frame. Well, during that time, they could not. The temple was destroyed as they knew it then. They couldn't worship. That's where they were used to worshiping. They were hauled away from that. They couldn't worship in Jerusalem in the central point, the focal point of everything they knew and, and where they knew and how they knew to worship. And so we see synagogues begin to pop up. And though we don't read about them in the Bible, history records some of that, that those things were starting to pop up during that, that period of time. And so really those 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament that's when synagogues come into play as a place that was very, very important uh, for Jewish worship. The historian Josephus says that synagogue buildings were used as schools, as uh, places that they had communal meals, as courts, uh, as places that they distributed charity of different kinds. They had political meetings in synagogue uh, buildings, and they, play, uh, they practiced worship there on the Sabbath days. These places, as I said, were unsanctioned. God never tells us uh, or never told the people of Israel in the Old Testament how to worship in a synagogue or how to establish it. In fact, if we go back to the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, uh, it says, and, and let them make me, this is God speaking to Moses, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I'll show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. And the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So when God tells Moses how to instruct the children of Israel, he gives him a great amount of detail. In the following verses and chapters there in Exodus, he gives him so much detail about how to build the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. It was the assembly place for the children of Israel. That's where they gathered together. That's where they sacrificed. That's where they worshiped in this tent of meeting. And God would lead them through the country by a pillar of a cloud by day and by a pillar of fire at night. And wherever that pillar settled, they would set up the tent. And they would set up the instruments and they would sacrifice according to the instruction that God had given. A very specific pattern. 
We move on there in uh, the time of Solomon, the king, in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1. It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziph, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. And so Solomon takes it upon himself. In fact, he's inspired a God to do so, is to build a permanent house, the temple, as it would come to be called. And it was patterned exactly after the, the tabernacle, only it was permanent. It was in Jerusalem. David had really wanted to build this place. If you study those times, he had really wanted to build that house of the Lord. And God said, you've, you've spilled too much blood. You've just spilled too much blood in all these wars, and you're not going to be the one to build this house. Your son Solomon's going to build the house. And that's exactly what he did. Solomon built the house. And they worshiped there, and they sacrificed there, and they had very specific instructions. If you want to go back, I encourage you to go back and read that. He told them exactly how he wanted them to worship in this temple and gave them the instructions to do that. Now we move on. This was, that was 400 year, 480 years after uh, that period of time and given of the law. Now we rock along another uh, couple hundred years in 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse number 8. It says, Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave Shaphan the book and he read it. So this is in the days of Josiah the king. And they still don't have tabernacle. They still don't have synagogues. They're worshiping in the temple, the house of the Lord. And he says, I, I found a book there. During this period of time, uh, they had went to worshiping in high places. They were worshiping false gods. They had departed from the truth. And they found the law. And they read the book. And they, they wept about the fact that they had departed so far from the truth. And Josiah, who was a very young king at the time, took and he brooded out all that false worship. And he reestablished true worship. And you know where they worshiped? In Jerusalem. In the temple. That's where they worshiped. Because that's what they were instructed to do. And so... All through that period of time, there are no synagogues. And yet we get to the time of the apostles. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 21, it says, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. The apostles said, since the old days, they've been teaching Moses in the synagogue. Well, what's the old days? Well, you know, I'm getting old enough now when I tell Lantry about when I was young, that's the old days, you know. So we all have, you know, the old days, whatever that meant to the apostles. But anyway, for their whole life, they didn't know anything other than Moses being preached in the synagogues. Now, they still had the temple at that time, and they still went to the temple to worship. We read about Peter entering into the temple at the hour of prayer. We read, about those, we read about Jesus going to the temple as a child and reasoning with them there in the temple. And so we know that there was worship still taking place in the temple, but by this time, synagogues were fully established in every city throughout that land. And it makes you wonder, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Why did they decide that was a good idea? I don't know. We just We can't find that information, really other than the fact that they were hauled out into exile and they didn't feel like they could worship where they needed to. In fact, they couldn't worship where they needed to. And so they just did what was right in their own mind and established these synagogues. We see Jesus quickly used the synagogue for his purpose of spreading uh, the word. 
Jesus grew up going to synagogue. Even though that wasn't something that God had sanctioned as, as true worship or what, what uh, he wanted the children of Israel to do, Jesus grew up on the Sabbath day going to the synagogue and going through those, those procedures there. And as he got grown and began his ministry, we can read many, many times. I'll just give you a couple of examples, but many times we can read about Jesus going into the synagogue. In Matthew 9 and 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So Jesus went to these cities and in every city, there was a synagogue, and he would enter into that synagogue, and he would teach. They were just gathering places. They gathered there, and they worshiped there. And Jesus used that to preach the gospel of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. That's just what Jesus did. That was his custom. That was his pattern of operation, that when he went into a city and the Sabbath day rolled around, he went to synagogue. That's just what he did. And I think that's important for us to note. We also see the apostles spent a lot of time in synagogue. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. This is talking about Paul. Paul, right after his conversion, he went and he spent just a little bit of time with the disciples. And then it says, Straightway, he went and preached Christ in the synagogue. That was just a place that they could gather, and they, could, they, they taught out of the Bible, and he had the opportunity to stand up and preach about Jesus. In Acts 17, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Paul, as his manner was, just like Jesus' uh, habit was to go to synagogue on the Sabbath day, Paul's habit was to go to synagogue on the Sabbath day and to reason with them out of the Scriptures and to teach about Jesus. You see, the synagogue was a place that we could not have gotten Christianity off the ground without. So important to the establishment of the church and establishment of Christianity in general. So let's shift gears just a little bit. We can see that there was no synagogues in Old Testament times. We get to New Testament times. There were synagogues. Jesus used them. The apostles used them. Let's look about how they were set up just a little bit. There were some officials uh, that, that ran the synagogues. And so these officials made sure that people were lined up, that things took place in an orderly fashion. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been just a terrible lot different than what you're seeing here this afternoon, to tell you the truth. We've got somebody in charge. He appoints people to sing songs. He appoints people to pray prayers. Uh, there's someone taught, uh, appointed to get up and give a sermon. There'll be some comments made afterwards. Very, very similar to what you would have saw in a first uh, century synagogue. So these officials, who were they? First of all, we read about rulers. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 22, it says, Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and he went 
Uh, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And so here's a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, another example, in Acts chapter 13 and uh, verse 15, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So we have a person at every assembly that we, we say is in charge. We have an in-charge list back there. Brother David has served that purpose this morning. And we rotate that through uh, different men. You're just you're in charge of lining things up. That's what a ruler of the synagogue was. They were in charge. They made the, uh, the appointments. They uh, appointed people to pray. They appointed people to teach. And then they got up and made comments like that. Hey, is there anything else that needs to be said? Does anyone have an, another exhortation for the people? That's what the rulers of the synagogue did. The second uh, position or official of a, a synagogue that we see was an attendant. Uh, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 20, it says he closed the book. This speaking of Jesus. He closed the book. He gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were fastened on Jesus. But he, he closed the book of the law and he handed it to somebody. It says it was the minister. That's the attendant of the synagogue. And their job was to carry out what the ruler wanted done. So where we might vary in our assembly a little bit, David's going to go and, and tell somebody, I want you to get the first song and you to get the second song. In synagogue, he would have told the attendant, to go and tell everybody what, what song they were going to lead. Or they, they wouldn't have led songs, but what prayer you were going to pray, what eulogy you are going to lead, if you were going to get the sermon for the day or not, uh, if you were going to make comments after the sermon, those kind of things. This attendant would handle that, and they would be there to attend to the needs or minister or serve the needs of those people that were carrying out the functions of the synagogue there. The last thing uh, official that we look at is the chief ruler. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 14, And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and he said to the people, There are six days in which men ought to work in them. Therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. So this guy, this word, uh, ruler of the synagogue, is a different Greek word than the other one we just looked at. And this one means the chief ruler. The synagogue very well could have been his that he built, uh, or it might have been in his house. You see, synagogue could be in a house, or they could be in, a, in another community-type building. But the chief ruler had the final say as to what went on and happened within those synagogues. So let's look at worship. What did they do? How did they worship in these synagogues? And I'm going to put up a list here, and, and I won't go through and read this list in its entirety. But this is from a, a Jewish historian of the time that put this together and kind of come up with this basic outline of what would have happened in a typical uh, synagogue worship. They would have come in and they would have had a couple of benedictions or a couple of blessings. And someone would have been appointed by the ruler to uh, recite these benedictions. And the congregation would respond. It would be a chant back and forth. And so they would say uh, this blessing or benediction. The congregation would, uh, would respond back with the same words. And then they would have the Shema. And the Shema actually consists of three different Old Testament verses. But it would begin, Hear, O Israel, the Lord uh, our God, the Lord is one. And we sing a song very much like that, don't we? 
uh, in our assembly today. And then they would have prayer, and then they would have these uh, two eulogies. And these eulogies would just be speaking uh, about, you know, maybe about Moses or the prophets or, or uh, those kind of things. And then there would be responses. So they would read or cite these things, and then somebody would get up and give a response. Remember when the chief ruler said, does anybody have any exhortation for the people? Okay, Paul had exhortation for the people. So he would get up and he would respond based on uh, what they had read or what they had talked about in those eulogies. Then they would have a couple more. And again, have those uh, opportunities to respond. Then they would have this priestly benediction, which was a little bit different, another eulogy. And then finally we get into the reading of the law. And this is where Jesus, as his custom was, he would get up and he would see that he could be one of those readers of the law. And uh, that's what they would do. Seven different people would be appointed to get up and read a portion of the law. And they would read through that. And then they would have a reading of the prophets where they just had one reader that took care of the reading of the prophets. And then they would have a sermon. And those sermons were generally very, very short. Uh, they would have that sermon, and then they would have that opportunity again uh, for someone to, to have a response there. You might not know if you were a, a Jewish man in those days till you got there that morning if you were going to have the sermon or not. It just depended on if the ruler decided that that day you were going to have the sermon. And you would get up and you would talk out of the law and out of the prophets and carry out those things. My point in showing you all this is outside of some singing, which they did not have much of there, they would chant, and some of these eulogies could get into a chant back and forth that m maybe you would construe as singing sometimes. But outside of just singing, that's not a lot different than what you're going to see here today, is it? A very, very close pattern, in fact, as to what you see us do and how we carry out things in an orderly fashion. The order that they chose to do things in. That they had uh, somebody that was in charge and lined things up and made sure things took place in an orderly fashion. Not a lot different than what you might see us do. The problem is none of this is found in the Old Testament anywhere. None of this. They weren't told to worship in this fashion. They weren't told to worship in that way. They were told to go to the temple and offer sacrifice. They were told how to worship in the temple. They made all that up on their own, and yet God uses that. God takes that, and God allows us to mold and shape the church into what it is, what it was in the New Testament, what it is today, based on that. He allowed Jesus to go into these places. The man who had no fault, who had no sin, Jesus would go in and he would take part in reading the law. And he would take part in reading the prophets. And he might be the one to give the sermon. He allowed Paul and, and the other apostles to go in and to take part in that way and to shape Christianity in the first century. And I think those things are very, very important. So as we begin to wrap things up, I want to make a comparison here of the church and of the synagogue and look at the definitions of these two things and look at how they're used in Scripture because I think as, as we go back and we think about our end goal here is to understand better the assembly of the church, I think we need to understand that the closeness and how closely these two things are related, church and synagogue, so we can understand what we need to be doing
in the assembly of the church today. So I've got a couple of Greek words up here. I'll not try to say them exactly. I've heard ekklesia enough times. I think that's right. So ekklesia is what we would normally call the church. That's uh, Strong's 1577. And then uh, synagogue uh, is G4864 in the Strong's. And uh, you can see those the way that, that uh, those things are translated in the New Testament. Ecclesia is 150, 115 times is translated church in the New Testament. Three times is translated as assembly. Uh, 4864 is 55 times as synagogue, one time as congregation, one time as assembly. So what do those two words mean? They both have extended, long definitions. And uh, in parts of the definitions, they're very similar. In parts, they differ a little bit. So this is really a part where they differ a little bit. Ecclesia can mean those who anywhere in any city or village constitute such a company and are united into one body. The whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth, the assembly of the faithful Christians already dead and received into heaven. So ecclesia or church can mean the whole body of Christians, the church universal. Uh, and we use it in that sense very, very often. Uh, the church, wherever it meets, we pray about that and say that uh, sometimes. So the church or ecclesia can be that whole body. It can all be also be referring to, to the dead in Christ. And we see that uh, in the book of Revelation a couple times where it refers to the dead in Christ. Uh, and, and that word is ecclesia. Uh, synagogue, it begins there talking about the building. And I think you'll agree that although ecclesia up here doesn't say that that uh, it can be a building. We refer uh, rightly or wrongly sometimes to church as a building. We say we'll go to church. We'll go to a building. That's not necessarily what it means. Synagogue did, however, have a very strong reference to the building. It was a building, a synagogue. He entered into the building, uh, and there he worshipped. So uh, we see some, some uh, differences here in the two words, but we can also see that both these words have very wide-ranging uh, meanings associated with them. The church can be the church universal, the entire body, the church local, the local congregation. It can be the church assembly. It can be the church building. And synagogue was used the same way. It could have been the synagogue gathering in general or a specific synagogue building. We move into a second part of the definition and these things start to line up and get very, very close in their meaning. And I think that's important. It's important for us when we're reading the scriptures and trying to understand or decipher what's going on, especially in the book of Acts. What's going on? What's happening here? Are we having a Christian worship service? Are we having a, a Jewish synagogue worship? What's going on here? So again, ecclesia can be a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. Uh, an assembly, an assembly of the people convened at the public place of the council for the purpose of deliberating or any gathering or throng of men assembled by chance tumultuously. And then synagogue can be a bringing together, a gathering as a fruits, a contracting in the New Testament, assembling together of men and assembly of men. These things have nothing to do with worship, absolutely nothing to do with worship. And so you can be reading along in the book of Acts and you can read the word assembly, uh, and it can have nothing to do with an assembly of the church. 
Uh, it can be referring, and, and that word can be synagogue, that word can be uh, assembly, that word can be congregation, but it all goes back to it's the same word. It's ecclesia or it's synagogue. Let's look at a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 32, it says, Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not, what, uh, knew not wherefore they were come together. This has nothing to do with worship. It's the word assembly, but that is ecclesia. It's church. Just like it's church in 115 other places in the New Testament, that's the same word. It has nothing to do with worship. It's just a gathering of people that came together. That's all it is. We shift and go on to James 2 and verse 2. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, it goes on to explain, you'll have, uh, you'll have favor to the one that looks rich, and, and you'll mistreat the one that looks poor. And he's chastising them for this. The point I want you to get out of it is that this is synagogue. This is the word synagogue, translated assembly here. And so we have to think through those things as we're interpreting the scriptures. He's referring to just a gathering, just a gathering together of people, not necessarily talking about worship in those two locations. Now, <clears throat> continuing on with our definition, this is still this is the same two words, ecclesia or church, synagogue there uh, on the other side. The assembly of the Israelites can be translated church. Did you know that in the New Testament? The assembly of the Israelites. And also uh, on 4864, an assembly of the Jews formally gathered together to offer prayers, listen to the reading and exposition of the scriptures. Assemblies that, of that sort were held every Sabbath and feast day. Afterwards also on the second and fifth days of every week. And so they were assembling a little more often than maybe we think of, but most notably on the Sabbath day and on the feast days. Assembly of the Jews, assembly of the Israelites. That's the same thing. And I'll show you a couple of examples in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. So you'll recognize this scripture as one where we talk about uh, if you've offended your brother and you go to them and, and or you have ought against your brother and, and they won't listen to you and you try to work it out together with one another uh, and they won't have any of it. Then you take it to a couple of people and before a couple of witnesses you try to work it out and you try to make it right. If they still won't have anything to do with you, he says take it to the church. Well, we read that as church. No, what we think about that is bring it before the whole body of Christ. The problem with that interpretation is this is before the church as we know it was ever established. This is Jesus making this teaching. The church doesn't get established until the book of Acts chapter 2. And so the church here is referring to a gathering of the Israelites. Synagogue, same thing. Gathering there together. And that's, what, that's how Jesus uses the word here in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17. If we look in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 5, he says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray. Stand in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So here's an Israelite assembly, and they use the word synagogue. Jesus uses the word synagogue to explain that Israelite assembly at that time. 
So again, we got to be careful. We got to let context dictate for us what we're reading about, what we're looking at uh, in these studies. Another portion of the definition there. Ecclesia or church, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. A company of Christians or of those who hoping for eternal salvation through Jesus Christ observe their own religious rites, have their own religious meetings and manage their own affairs according to the regulations prescribed for the body for order's sake. Well, that sounds like something we recognize now. Now we're talking about church. We're talking about church assembly. We're talking about the gathering that we're in right now. And we can understand that. Well, they look at G4864 there. Synagogue, a name transferred to an assembly of Christians formally gathered together for religious purposes. Sounds an awful lot like church, doesn't it? And so you're going to read sometimes in the book of Acts the word synagogue, and it's going to be talking about a Christian worship assembly. It can mean the same thing, both those things, both those words can mean the same thing. Let's look at a couple of examples. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in one uh, that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? 1 Corinthians 14, a chapter we go to very regularly to talk about the assembly of the church. And this is this is it, ecclesia, the church, the whole church be come together. That's the assembly of the church. And that's what it's talking about there. But if we go to Acts chapter 18 and verse 8, it says, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, remember he's ruler of the synagogue here, ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Here these people had gathered and were taught the gospel. They were in a Christian worship service where they were taught the gospel. The gospel was preached. And they heard, they believed, and they were baptized all in that same assembly. And so synagogue there in that sense was a group of Christians gathered together for worship. To learn about the gospel. To obey the gospel. Notice it was the Corinthians. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. 1 Corinthians 14 talked about the whole church coming together. Here's the Corinthians in a synagogue learning the gospel. The base of, of everything that saves us, that brings us to Christ. And so as we, uh, as we wrap these things up, uh, you know, it took me a long time. I'd studied this for a long time. It took me a long time to get comfortable giving this sermon because I just wasn't sure what's the punchline, what's the take-home message. What do we need to know or gather from that? And that's why I told you that up front. To me, number one, it's amazing that God took such a departure from how he told those Jews to worship and to use that as the platform to establish the church. Our pattern of worship is so similar to what those Jews were doing in the first century synagogue. So similar. And God used that. In some ways. And yet in other ways. We got to be careful. That we don't base too much off Jewish tradition. From the first century. We got to be very careful. That we don't take their traditions. Because that's what all those were. They carried in many traditions. And so we got to get in the word. And we got to read in the word. What does it say about an assembly? What does it say about how we worship? What does it say about how we conduct ourselves in the assembly of the Lord? Because we don't want to base everything 
off of people that were wrong in the first century just because it's tradition, because it was their tradition. We need to base it off of what the Bible says. And so as you study this, and as I, I study this, uh, we need to be very, very careful that we don't put in too many things out of our tradition and out of their tradition into the assembly of the church. Because just like they departed with small little changes over time, they departed from the truth. Yeah, God used that. And God helped get the church established uh, through those synagogues. But that doesn't mean they were right in what they were doing there at that time. It just means God can take anything and he can mold it in the right direction. So as we close, I just want you to think about those things. I want you to, to consider those things. And as we study, we're going to study more about the assembly as we move forward. And we're going to try to take, we're going to do our very, very best to take only things out of the Word of God where it's written in the, in the ink and, the, and the, that we can read that Jesus inspired, that the apostles wrote, that the first century church practiced, uh, and use those things to go off of so that we don't depart from the truth, so that we do stay on track, and so that we can say that our worship in the church is pleasing to God. Our assembly is important. It's important that we do it correctly, and it demands our very best attention in doing so. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.